So can you think of a time when you have felt completely alone? Now, some of you are saying, when? I mean, that's just like the constant reality these days as we are cooped up in our homes and we're isolated from our friends and our extended family. Maybe you have a hard time remembering when you haven't felt alone these days. You know, it might be because you are by yourself. You're kind of sheltering alone. Maybe it's because you're with family, but you can still feel alone even with groups of people. When's the last time that you felt alone? I was reading this week about how there's some big problems happening because of people trying to process these kind of feelings. There's been observations that drug abuse and alcohol abuse and gambling and uh, pornography and all of these things are on the rise. Because when we feel alone, when we have that void in our lives, we try to fill it. And oftentimes it's in very unhealthy places. Now, maybe you felt alone because you lost a loved one at some point in your life. Maybe it was a, a friend or a family member. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was after a relationship broke up. Maybe it was after losing a job or you got put on furlough. Maybe it was just during an especially dark and difficult time in your life. You know, it's at times like these, when we feel alone, that we start to ask big questions. Like, is there anybody there? God, what are you up to? Are you real? Am I really alone? Well, today, what I want to focus on with you is a scene that takes place right in the middle of the Easter story. Now, the disciples had been through a roller coaster of a week all sorts of emotions. Remember, it started on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem triumphant and people are praising him and they've got their palm branches out and they're celebrating him. But just a few days later, everything changes. Thursday, they celebrate the Passover meal together and it ends up being their last supper. And it segues into Friday where Jesus is put on trial and eventually he is executed on a cross and suddenly everything has changed. It goes from praises to fear. And the disciples are wondering, how do we go on? How are we supposed to carry out Jesus's message and his mission without him? How are we going to deal with the struggles and the storms of life without Jesus' help? I mean, he's been with us for three years, and now it feels like we're alone. Are we really alone? Well, I want to look at a short passage from John chapter 20 starting with verse 19. So if you have your Bibles at home, I'd encourage you to open them up. You grab your phone, use the YouVersion app, and turn to John chapter 20. The words will also be on your screen. And so here's what the text says. That Sunday evening, all right, so we're still on Easter Sunday. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, 
so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 19 to start out. Because right away, what we're going to see is that Jesus always knows exactly what we need. It was true for the disciples, and it's true for you and for me today. Jesus always knows exactly what we need. So in verse 19, it says, that Sunday evening, the disciples are meeting behind locked doors. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly... Jesus was standing there among them. Jesus showed up in that room and the very first thing he did on purpose was to just stand in the middle of them. You see, his presence was able to speak more than words ever could. His presence means there was no more need to fear or to be anxious. His presence communicated, I am here with you. I have defeated sin, death, and evil once and for all. It's going to be okay. His presence told them, there's hope for today. And not only that, there is also hope for the future. As we talked about last week, Jesus once said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. This life is not going to always be easy. But then he told them and he tells us, take heart because I have overcome the world. And what we talked about last week is that word overcome means victory. Jesus achieved victory on the cross. He achieved victory by rising again. And so all of those frustrations and disappointments and struggles and problems that we face don't need to get us down because Jesus ultimately has overcome. He is victorious over all of those things. And how do we know that to be true? How do we know that he has overcome? How do we know that he's victorious? Well, it's because he is present. You see, Jesus' presence makes all the difference in the world. It's exactly what the disciples needed at that moment. When they see the risen Christ all of their fears and anxieties fade away and they experience peace and assurance and confidence. But you know, it's key for us too today. It's exactly what we need to be aware of Jesus's presence with us. It's so very important. And the key word there is awareness because Jesus has already promised this to be true. He has promised that he will be with us until the end of the age. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And Jesus always keeps his promises. It's his very nature. Jesus isn't in the habit of just showing up occasionally when it's convenient for him. He doesn't double book his calendar and say, sorry, I had to go over here instead. No, when we invite him into our life, he sticks And he stays. And so when we recognize his constant presence with us, it makes a huge difference. But isn't it easy to forget that he's there? Isn't it easy to fail to recognize his presence on a day-to-day basis? You know, Satan loves to get us to focus on anything else. 
to get us to obsess over our problems and our difficulties, to get caught up in our busyness, and to fail to recognize that Jesus is with us. You know, when things start to get tough or doubts start to creep in, oftentimes it's because we aren't staying focused on Jesus's presence. And we start to conclude, well, maybe he left, maybe he got frustrated, maybe he gave me too many chances and now he's just moved on. But the other thing is this can kind of seem abstract, can it? I mean, we can't see him, so what does it mean that Jesus is present? I mean, where do I look when I don't feel him? Well, I think when we look around at our lives and in the world and we see goodness and we see grace and we see truth, it's a reminder that Jesus is present. The Bible tells us if we open up our hearts, he will come in. James says, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Maybe today, we just need to take a step towards him so that we can realize his presence with us. There's a guy named William Fry who tells a story about the incredible power of presence. He says, when I was a younger man, I volunteered to read to a degree student named John who was blind. One day I asked him, how did you lose your sight? A chemical explosion, John said, at the age of 13. Well, how did that make you feel, I asked. Like life was over. I felt helpless and hopeless. I hated God, John responded. For the first six months, I did nothing to improve my lot in life. I would eat all my meals alone in my room. Well, one day, my father entered my room and said, John, winter's coming, and our storm windows need to go up. So that's your job. I want those hung by the time I get home this evening or else. Then he turned, walked out of my room, and slammed the door. Well, I got so angry. I thought, who does he think I am? I'm blind. I was so angry that I decided to go do it. So I felt my way out to the garage, I found the storm windows, I located the necessary tools, I even found the ladder, all the while muttering under my breath, I'll show them, I'll fall, and then they'll have a blind and paralyzed son. John continued, well, I got all the windows up. And it wasn't until later that I found out there was never any moment where my father wasn't further away than four or five feet from me. See, in the same way, church, Jesus promises to be by our side. He promises to be with us until the very end. When we recognize his presence, it makes all the difference. So are you aware of his presence with you today? Are you aware of his presence going into this week, whatever it holds what difference does that make in your life? I heard a story about a church down in Austin, Texas, who encouraged everybody in their church a few years ago to set the alarm on their watch or their phone to go off every single hour. And what they were encouraging people to do is to, at that hour, when that alarm goes off, to just look back for that previous hour and recognize where Jesus was present. 
Now, they had so many people doing this, and so many of them worked at Dell computers that people were on conference calls, and everybody's alarm went off at the same time, and they had to ask, what in the world is going on? But what if you and I were to be that intentional? What if we would take the time to look back over the last hour and to recognize where Jesus is present? Would his presence impact your decision-making, your choices? your priorities? Would his presence make a difference when you're tempted by something? Or how about when you experience fear or worry or even joy? You see, the promise of Easter is that Jesus is here. He's here to comfort you, to support you, and to hold you up. Now, along with being present, Jesus always knows exactly what to say And so in verse 19, the first words that he speaks to the disciples are, peace be with you. His focus is to continue to calm their fears and their anxieties. Now, how easy is it to let fear get the best of us? If you're at all like me, I I can have an overactive imagination. I start to imagine all the worst scenarios. I assume the worst might happen, and it causes feelings of hopelessness. It's overwhelming. Have you ever laid awake at night and just replayed the tape over and over again of what might happen a week later or a month later? You know, when we look back at those times, isn't it almost always worse than it turns out to be? And I heard one time that it would be helpful sometimes to just write down all of the fears and the worries that we're feeling in a moment. Just make a huge list and then put it away for a week. And then go back and revisit that list. And 95% or more of those things will never come to pass. We spend so much time being fearful and worrying when we don't need to. Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. Before his death, Jesus had some words to his disciples and they're for us too. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Yet here the disciples are up in the upper room. They're full of fear, full of anxiety. And they're assuming the worst. And they're frozen. Luke's gospel says that they even conclude when Jesus shows up, that he must be a ghost, and they're freaked out. I mean, they're behind locked doors. They're afraid of what's going to happen. The Jewish leaders have to be looking for them. And suddenly, there's Jesus with no explanation, and the most logical thing they can conclude at this point is that he must be a ghost. Now, don't forget, Jesus had told them his plans numerous times. He had told them again and again that he needed to die and then he would rise again. These so-called friends of Jesus, though, didn't get it. And think about the way they had behaved recently. I mean, Jesus had looked out for them for three years. He had saved their life when they were out on a boat in the midst of a storm. They had all told Jesus how much they love him and that they would even die for him. But now in the last week, one of them had betrayed him to his death. Another denied knowing him three times. And all of them had run away in fear 
and we're now in a room locked away. On that night when Jesus was praying in the garden, they couldn't even be troubled to stay awake. They all fell asleep. If these were your friends, how would you respond when you saw them? Nice friends you guys turned out to be. I will never trust you again. I hope you understand how badly you have hurt and disappointed me. But you know, instead of shame and disappointment, Jesus chooses to say, peace be with you. You know, Jesus' words are chosen carefully and purposefully, and it shows his incredible heart for us that he is full of grace and love and mercy and second chances and third chances. Now, this isn't a peace like our culture talks about. I mean, you know, we see peace signs all over the place on T-shirts and on snowboards. We use peace as a casual greeting. Much of its original power and meaning has been lost. But when Jesus says, peace be with you, he's using the Hebrew word shalom. It's not just a greeting. It's a message. It's a promise. See, shalom means well-being. It means wholeness. What Jesus is saying is, it is well with you. He's saying, wholeness has finally come to you. It's the kind of peace that encompasses all of who we are, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's a kind of peace that overwhelms any fears and anxieties that we might have. And it's centered in the reality of Jesus' presence with us. It's no mistake that he is called the Prince of Peace. And he offers healing. And he offers redemption. In verse 20, it says, As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. He showed them evidence of what he had done for them, the lengths that he would go for them. He showed them proof of God's resurrection power. God was able to take a wounded and scarred body and bring wholeness to creation. And because he did this, we too can be made whole because of God's resurrection power. And so Jesus' message is the same for us this morning. I'm here right in the middle of you. And it makes all the difference. No matter how isolated or how distant you might feel right now, Jesus has no need to socially distance himself. Regardless of your story or your circumstances, he says, I will bring you peace. I will make you whole. Do you have scars from the past that you carry with you? How about guilt and shame because of something in the present? Or how about a fear of the future? He says to you, let me heal you. Let me forgive you. Let me clean you up. Receive my shalom. You see, Jesus always, always knows exactly what we need. Well, then finally, one more thing, and it's exactly what the disciples need, and it's exactly what we need. He gives us a purpose. He gives his disciples and us a mission and a helper. Look at verse 21. It says, again, he said, peace be with you. 
Like, guys, don't miss this, all right? Peace be with you. It's good. It's wholeness. I'm bringing it to you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He's telling them, I am choosing you to be a part of God's mission, to bring wholeness, to bring shalom to the entire creation. Go out and spread the good news of the gospel. Go out and tell people the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Tell people how he has overcome sin and death and invite them to experience shalom, wholeness, and peace that only he can offer. Now, notice two things here. One, how amazing it is that he chooses people like his disciples and people like you and me to be a part of his team. It shows, again, his grace and forgiveness that he gives us a second and third and fourth chance. And he says, I still have confidence in you. You still have potential. I'm gonna choose you to be a part of my team, part of my mission. The other thing to notice is the very most important job that we're given. I mean, he could have told us to do anything and everything else, but what he says is, I am sending you out. Because that's the essence of God's heart for people. God is the one who'll leave the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. And so we, you and I are sent out to be missionaries. We're going on a mission trip wherever we're at, and you don't need a plane ticket, you don't need a passport. You're going on a mission trip to your home, to your condominium, to your apartment, to your neighborhood. Wherever you go, you are called to be a missionary. You see, being the church is not just hanging out with the found. It's going out to find the lost. But we need to be careful here, church, because it's where our sinful nature starts to pop up. And we say, send me out. I mean, what's in it for me? I mean, I thought church was supposed to be all about me, what I want and what I desire. Yet Jesus is saying, no, you are sent out to go reach people. You see, we're supposed to be spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We're sent out to go and bring others in, to expand God's kingdom. See, the question we should never be asking is, do I like it? I don't know about that third song or the sermon went way too long. No, the question that we need to be asking again and again as a church is, how are we doing at reaching out? How are we doing at being sent into our neighborhoods and our community and beyond? Well, again, the natural response, I think, to this is to be anxious and to be fearful and say, well, how is this supposed to work? I mean, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to say. I don't have the right degrees. But Jesus, of course, is one step ahead of us. And he's saying, don't worry, because I am here with you. In fact, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit to guide you, to empower you, and to equip you. I heard this illustration one time, that if I look at this glove, and I tell it, glove, go get me a Coke, or go pick up my Bible. It's not going to work out real well, right? I mean, I can even sit the glove down and try to explain to it how this should work. You know, say, maybe you just don't know how to do it. So, okay, glove, what you need to do, if you're going to pick up my Bible, is put four fingers underneath and put your thumb on top, squeeze hard, pick it up, and then bring it to me. 
Now, I might give the best explanation in the world. It's still not going to work very well, right? This glove is lifeless and it's powerless. No matter how hard I try at this, it's not going to work on its own. It's never going to be able to do it until I put my hand in the glove. And the moment my hand is in the glove, it's now as strong as my hand. Everything that is possible for my hand is now possible for the glove, including picking up this Bible, right? Now, if the glove were able to talk, it'd be super strange, but if it was, it might be able to say, I can do all things through this hand that gives me strength. So church, I want you to think about it this way. You and I are like the glove. Jesus is the hand. With Jesus in your life, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Through his power and his presence and his guidance and the Holy Spirit, you can do what he calls you to do. His presence makes all the difference. You and I are not alone. With him, all things are possible, really. You might say, well, that's great, but it's still pretty hard to remember he's there. I get so distracted, I get off course. It's hard to remember, even remain convinced that he's with me day to day. Sometimes I feel like I'm on my own. Sometimes I feel like God is distant or disconnected. Maybe I just feel like I've said way too many questionable things or done too many questionable things, and maybe Jesus has just given up. So church, when we, like the disciples, feel overwhelmed with fear, anxiety, or loneliness, where can we go? Where do we encounter the risen and present Jesus? Well, in closing, I have a couple suggestions. The first is in worship, like you're doing right now. Remember, the promise of Scripture is wherever two or three are gathered, he is there. Now, we might not be gathered together in the conventional way, but we are still gathered as the body of Christ virtually. And we believe there's power in that and that Jesus is present with us. Make sure you continue to make worship a priority because you will encounter the risen Christ. Well, also in his word, remember Jesus himself is the word of God. When's the last time you opened up your Bible and spent some time with him? Because he's there. Make sure you connect with us for daily devotions. Make sure you find times to be in the word. You will encounter the risen Christ. Small groups, another great place to encounter Jesus. The very next story in the Gospel of John after this passage we're looking at today is the story of doubting Thomas. Remember, Thomas missed out on seeing Jesus the first time. What was Thomas's problem? He missed small group. And this is what happens. Make sure you don't miss your small group. And if you're not in a group, we have new groups forming a week from today and the week after that. There is a group for you all different times and days of the week. We wanna encourage you to get in a small group. Next Sunday, we're kicking off an exciting new sermon series and groups are gonna be following along and it's called Forward. And what we're going to focus on is the next five years in the life of Calvary. Where is God calling us to go in the next five years? Right? I think it's going to be great as a church to start focusing on what's next. It's so easy to be overwhelmed by the present, but God has great plans for you and for me. 
He wants to lead us forward into more impact in our community and beyond. So join us next Sunday and make sure you sign up for an online group. You can go to calvary.org slash small groups. Remember, spiritual growth best happens in a small group. Well, finally, how about serving people in need? Remember, Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. When you serve someone, you are serving Jesus. You will encounter him. What if the times that you feel lonely or depressed or stressed out or distant, you'd find a way to care for someone else? I believe you would recognize the presence of Christ in that moment. You'll experience the presence of Jesus and the people you care for and love and serve. Church, no matter where you're at today, take comfort in knowing that Jesus is with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Take some time to allow him to comfort you, to speak to you, to fill you up. And then never, ever forget this amazing promise of Easter that you are never, ever alone. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the power of your word. We give you thanks for this story from over 2,000 years ago that speaks directly into our situations today. God, as we're distant from each other, as we're holed up in our homes, as we deal with feelings of loneliness and fearfulness and anxiety, we're thankful that you always know exactly what we need. You know that we need your presence, we need your peace, and we need your purpose. And so God, we invite you to walk with us, to make us ever aware of your presence, to help keep us on track, to remind us of our purpose, to go and share the good news every way possible. God, we're thankful that you've picked us to be a part of your team and that we not only have hope for the present, we have hope for the future when we put our faith in you. God, as a church, help us to be a sent church. Help us to be a church that's not just content to hang out with the found, but instead goes out to find the lost. God, help make our mission the most important thing that we're about. Help us to continue to lead people into a growing relationship with you and help us to find ways to do that creatively in these uncertain times that we're in. But also, God, we're so excited about where you're leading us in the future. So hold us close, remind us of your promises and help us to live for you. And we all pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together, amen.